Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs. I'm Edward Venmore, Head of the Team. I'm pleased to bring you this episode, which is one of a number which will consider succession planning and the family dynamics we see in our farming family clients. Today I'm joined by Rachel Brooks and Caroline Featherby to discuss deputyships. Rachel is a partner for Danstein in the private wealth team and advises clients on tax and estate planning with a particular specialism in rural and landed estates. Caroline is an associate in the mental capacity team of Enable All, which sits part of Fertansty. Caroline specialises in course protection work, which includes making deputyship applications and putting in place lasting powers of attorney. Welcome to you both and thank you for your time today. Hi, Ed. Uh, well, if I kick things off with a question, perhaps Caroline. So first of all, what is a deputyship and when might you need one? Okay, so a deputyship is something that's put in place by the Court of Protection when someone has lost capacity to make decisions regarding property and finances and or health and welfare. There are quite two separate things. And then the Court of Protection will make an order and appoint someone as a deputy who will then be able to make decisions for that person on their behalf in their best interests, either, as I say, for property and finances or for health and welfare, or you can have the same deputy appointed for both. Rachel, when is someone classed as having lost capacity? Well, somebody has to be assessed to see what their legal capacity is to carry out certain tasks. Now, with deputyship, that would be when they get to a point where they're no longer able to manage their personal affairs and the doctor would be involved to make that assessment and then the application would be made to the court. And should it ever be relatives, friends or professionals? Uh, it can be uh, a mixture of both. I mean, you can have joint deputies. The most important thing is somebody who's going to be acting in the very best interests of the patient. Often that will be a member of the family, but professionals do act as well if there are no suitable members of the family. Caroline, I guess that this is probably something that often comes up uh, a lot in your area. What Have you got any comments to add on that? Yeah, so many of the deputyships that we, where we act as deputy, that person has a quite a significant amount of assets and arising from a, an acquired brain injury. So usually from personal injury or clinical negligence claims. So they've got quite a big settlement either coming or, or they have already had it. And when the person who lacks capacity has significant amount of assets, the court are quite reluctant to appoint a lay deputy. And so they prefer to appoint a professional. If it is known um, pre-settlement that the person is going to need a deputy the deputyship costs for that person's lifetime can be worked into the claim as well so the professional fees can be recovered as part of the claim. And can you choose who you want to appoint as your deputy? Question for both of you. Rachel, you get first. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's uh, that certainly the individual doesn't choose because, by their very nature, they're unable to because they lack capacity. It's usually a decision that's made within the family. So I think just to distinguish from the situation which Caroline just said, you know, if you've got a, a an individual who's just aging and has lost capacity as a result of that, it may well be the spouse or one of the children who steps up to take that role. And as Caroline just said, otherwise, in the particularly the settlement cases, it would be a, a professional because that is what the court is going to prefer. Is it possible for someone to express a preference with a court in writing? Would that ever be taken into account in some way who they'd want? I mean, obviously, we'll talk about this in another, on another occasion, I'm sure, where you'd advise people to do lasting powers of attorney instead. But in terms of deputyship, is it, is it possible for someone to accord in writing somewhere that what their preference would be if they, if they find themselves in that circumstance? 
you probably shouldn't ever get to that point because the particularly for landowners you would be wanting to have the cord protection as a, a place of last resort mm. and it's because you haven't actually put in place the lasting power of attorney so if you want to express yeah. your wishes as to who is to deal with your affairs then do a lasting power of attorney yeah absolutely which is something we'd all say and we'll we'll return to that topic on another episode uh, caroline class what's the what's the process for applying for a deputy Yep, so there are a number of forms, as you can imagine. They seem to keep adding more and more forms to the list of what we need to do to to make an application to the court. So it's every single bit of information you can think about for that person, particularly for property and affairs, deputy, every bit of financial information is needed. One of the main forms is a COP3 form, which is an assessment of capacity to confirm that they lack capacity to make those decisions. We then need to get a declaration from the proposed deputy to confirm that they are not currently bankrupt and no criminal record, all those sorts of things, make sure they're a person of good standing. And then all of those forms get sent off to the court. We then need we need to notify a certain number of people. Um, so pers- people who are in, in that person's life who have a, an interest in their well-being. So this will be family members mainly who we inform them. We name them as persons to be notified. Um, they get a copy of the application and they then have an opportunity to consent or object to it. In most cases, I'm happy to say we we rarely have objections, which is good because we have all those conversations before any of these forms go in. And then we wait, which is the difficult bit. And the court has always taken quite a long time to do these things. Unfortunately, in a post-COVID world, we are waiting even longer. Sometimes it can be up to a year, which is very, very difficult. So, yeah, as as, uh, Rachel was saying, it it really is the... (laughs) the sort of plan of last resort really to go through this yeah. process because it, it can be really really long yeah we're waiting a year when by definition some of these things might be quite urgent there's must be hugely hugely frustrating and worrying for everyone involved an important question obviously in these circumstances perhaps for you Rachel is who, who supervises deputies and how are they held accountable because obviously got enormous responsibility not just on behalf of the person they're dealing with but also you know for the wider family as well they'd be worried about the family will have concerns about someone stepping in in that role. Absolutely. And uh, it's the Court of Protection through the Office of the Public Guardian who does that. And reports will have to be made every year. Caroline can detail some more of the specifics on this. But generally, the deputy is accountable to the court. And what would happen is they get an order which gives them specific authority to do specific things. And anything outside of that, they must go back to the the court for approval and will have to submit, say, annual accounts and could be checked, I believe. I think, Caroline, that's right, isn't it? At any time, could be spot checked. Yeah, they have court visitors who might go out and visit the person themselves, make sure they're happy, the family are happy with the deputy and that everything running smoothly and then yet yeah, we do the OPG do audits so we'll get a call and say in two weeks we're going to send someone to your office and we'd like these files please and they sit in a quiet room and what well, it used to be with piles of boxes of folders around them but now I'm sure they just sit with a laptop and look at it all to make sure that we're doing everything correctly. Yeah, as it should be, understandably in the circumstances, absolutely. Uh, Caroline, what are the common inquiries and instructions you receive in relation to deputyships and how would you advise anyone listening now uh, who might need to put one in place for a family member? Do you mean sort of whether we're already an existing deputy, sort of the sorts of things that we do for those people? Yeah, yeah sort of common things you see. It's so unbelievably varied. I mean, if everything that you 
you do for your own in your own financial world we do for for those other people and obviously it depends on each person's individual circumstances as to how involved we get and to how many decisions we're having to make on a daily and weekly basis um some you know one minute we can be you know paying the gas bill and you know sourcing i don't know um a wheelchair for a, a person and then next day we're doing property adaptations that are costing 800,000 pounds and instructing surveyors and architects and and contractors to do the works and then the next day we'll be speaking to an IFA about the portfolio of 2 million pounds and and all these things and it but you really can also be can you book me a taxi to this place or you know i've um, I need £100 to get my MOT done. And and it's, it really is one end of the spectrum to the other, which is why it's so brilliant, really, because you, you get to be so involved. But the, the great thing about it as well is you get so involved in, in people's in lives. You've sort of become part of the family. You become part of the support team around them. And so really anything that they need, they that has a financial element to it, we, we can help with. Can I ask one question, perhaps for both of you, but Rachel first. Obviously, I, I come across this quite a lot, but the, the, the Foot Ancy Trust Corporation, I know other, other, other solicitors firms may do something similar in terms of mm-hmm. deputships, but can you explain how a corporation in that context would work if people ever come across it or hear similar sort of phrases? Yeah, so the Foot Ancy Trust Corporation is a company, effectively, and members of the firm uh, are directors of that company. And it's possible to appoint the Trust Corporation as the deputy. So in that case, the trust corporation is the decision maker, but underneath or behind the scenes, it's members of the firm who are making those decisions for the the, the particular individual. The advantage of it is that if your particular deputy has gone on holiday, they're not particularly around at that moment, then there's always somebody who can be making the decision on behalf of the trust corporation. And it also means that um, should a, particularly if you have a professional deputy, they would retire or move or anything like that. You it doesn't actually change the continuity for the client because the trust corporation just keeps going because the there's a group of individuals who are making decisions behind the scenes. Thank you. Perhaps to draw things to a conclusion that Karen can I ask you, what would be your sort of key takeaways or top tips for farming families planning for the future when we're talking about this topic? top tip really is to avoid, avoid it probably <laughs> avoid instructing <laughs> yes. someone like me um but um yeah do an LPA to avoid this situation if you are in the situation where you are going to need a deputy if you're a family if you think that's going to be needed for say someone in your family or someone that you know then you know do your research get good advice and and think carefully about about who to go to to have a, a deputy appointed make sure you trust that person and have a really good relationship with them and give the time it takes to uh, get one appointed it is a case of sooner the but if you are yeah, if, you, if you're already too late for a power of attorney then sooner the better really given the time you unfortunately thank you both for your um uh, your time really appreciate it common theme of this uh, podcast series has often been uh, planning for the future having discussions and seeking advice early and a lot of what you both said today really picks up on the, those themes I, I hope everyone found that useful please do take a look at our website and subscribe for future episodes of the podcast in particular please do look out for a further episode where we will be picking up on lasting powers of attorney something uh, both caroline and rachel mentioned today but thank you very much for listening thank you thank you Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Footancy Experts in the Field podcast. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at footancy.com.